Hi everyone, and welcome to God's Plan, Your Part, a podcast where our goal is to read the entire Bible in a year, seeking to understand God's plan of redemption while discovering daily and practically your part in it. What should we do about sin in our churches? It's important that we recognize in our churches, but this is exactly what we're going to be talking about today. We're reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 5 to chapter 8. And it does seem like this is where Paul's getting into the nitty gritty about what to do about sin uh, in the body of believers. So this is like one believer sinning against another believer. These are people who know and follow Jesus, who claim the name of Jesus, um, but are still actively sinning and still living a life of sin. What do we do about that? So we're going to cover a lot today, uh, but I think these are really good chapters. You should definitely go read them for yourselves. So I think it's important to think about what the different sins were that specifically Paul was calling out. So it starts off about, in chapter 5, sexual immorality that is within the church. Um, So like within family members, different types of scenarios that he is just appalled by. Uh, No pun intended. And um, then he starts talking about lawsuits among believers, just other sexual immorality that he has been hearing about, principles of marriage, um, living a life of being married or being single, uh, food that's been offered to idols, and then what to do if you are unmarried or a widowed person. So I think a lot of these things seem really straightforward to me as like the reader um, and even just like my own worldview, my own life and experience. It seems like a lot of these things are like, well, duh. I would definitely tell somebody, you're wrong on this, you're wrong on that, that's not correct, or yeah, that is how we should be doing life. But I think in any of these scenarios, it is really hard to approach a real-life situation and just be like, nope, you're wrong. However, that is exactly what Paul is doing. Um, I think it's really easy for us today to just kind of like shrink back and um, not necessarily know how to approach these situations and being as straightforward as Paul is. So just to call this out, it's obvious from the text that we're reading today that there has been some conversation back and forth that we don't have anymore. So Paul says in chapter 5, verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. That needs to be understood in context. Uh, I'm just calling that out for the, the sense that there has been a letter that has been passed that mentioned this. And then in chapter 7, Uh, Verse 1, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Again, read it in context. This is just so you understand there's been letters going back and forth. We don't have them. So there is some level of relationship here between Paul and this church. And Paul understands very clearly uh, what the issues are, and he is doing what he can to correct those issues, even when he's not present. Now, 1 Corinthians 5 is really interesting um, because there is this guy in the church that is apparently living with and sleeping with his father's wife. That could be his actual mother. Uh, it could be like a stepmother. At any rate, it's it's gross. It's not great. And P- Paul is like shocked that this is even happening. He's appalled. <laughs> I, I can see a thread we're going to follow here. Paul is appalled. <laughs> Perfect. Um, and it's interesting. There's, there's a couple different takes on what's going on here, but the, the take that I think is most appropriate is the Corinthian church is taking grace to like this extreme where it should never be taken. They are actually proud of the fact, um, that they are being gracious and merciful to this man who is actively living in sin. Mm -hmm. And Paul calls out like, 
that you're being arrogant. Like th- this, this kind of sin is not even tolerated among the pagans. Your boasting is not good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so Paul's like, this needs to be dealt with immediately. And he says, get him out. Get him out. I think it's really easy for us today to also do the same things. I've been to a lot of different churches. I've heard a lot of different perspectives of churches that would, would I guess they would say that supporting somebody in this type of sin or these very similar scenarios um, is like something to be proud of or some like a jewel in their crown like it's a really exciting and positive thing however like we've talked before in the past like every time that we just continue in our sin like you're just allowing Christ's sacrifice to be like just run through the mud and like oh just imagining Christ just like wallowing in your sin still like oh that's not what he does he doesn't just sit there with you and you're in your sin that that he's like so clearly um, gone out after or called out. So there's a really important thing to talk about here as well, because Paul gives them a different measure for people outside the church than people inside the church. Mm -hmm. So people outside the church, we're not supposed to stop associating with them because they're sinful. Our assumption is that they are sinful, but people inside the church who are called brother we're supposed to cast out when they live in sin. So I actually want to read this just so you guys catch it. Um, this starting in verse nine, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world or the greedy and swindlers and idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of this world. He's like, it's impossible to find people that are perfect. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. That means a Christian. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunker, or swindler, not, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those in the, inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges the outside. Purge the evil person from among you. That's the whole idea of accountability. I think that just gets so thrown to the wayside. Like people don't want to ruffle any feathers. And it's just like, oh, we're just, we all agree that Jesus saved us. So we're just going to hang tight there. Um, or or just like not be willing to call people out in their sin. It's just like, it's so, I don't know. It's so backwards to me. Like, why do we allow this? And Paul even talks about this in verse six of chapter five, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So like this idea where this one little piece, as it gets mixed in, it's just going to contaminate the entire, the entire body. Um, And so it's just, it, it baffles me how much, Um, we just kind of allow this to happen and it's like this prideful thing that people get so excited about that we just, we don't call people sin out and we're just so accepting that it doesn't matter. Rounding out, I guess this is actually chapter six where Paul starts to call out specific sins and he kind of just like boom, boom, boom through the list. He says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, I just wanted to touch on this quickly. There is literally right now going around Twitter um, or X, whatever you want to call it, this this idea that homosexuality, the word, did not show up in the Bible until 1946. And it's getting passed around like this huge revelation, like, oh my gosh, like nobody cared about homosexuality until 1946. That's complete foolishness. Like, <laughs> that's just crazy. Um, the word may have popped up 
And it's not because somebody decided to like throw it in there. It's because they interpreted the words for that translation that was made in 1946. Mm -hmm. The concept of homosexuality being a, a sin is prevalent throughout the Bible and prevalent throughout like the early church history, fathers throughout yeah. history. Um, do not fall for this nonsense that like, oh, wow, some evil cabal put the word in there in 1946. What an arrogant That's thing craziness. to think too that like this profound idea of homosexuality could only have been apparent within the last century that's ridiculous yeah, like that's very silly crazy um so just guard yourselves against that stuff i mean we don't have enough time to just like do a deep dive on that concept but there there are plenty of even stories like you can look at i mean you can look at leviticus 18 it, it doesn't use the word homosexuality it says a man should not lie with a man as with a woman so that's like that's not even the word being used um I think it's later on in Jude, like Jude talks about how Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed um, because of the, the the men desiring other men. So this is not a word issue. This is a sin issue, a concept issue. Mm-hmm. Don't fall for that. So then we move into marriage, and it sounds like Paul is uh, perhaps speaking from experience. You were researching earlier about Paul and his potential marital status beforehand. Yeah, Paul, Paul's teaching like what to do with the social whatever role you're in what should you do if you're married what should you do if you're single Um, a lot of times people understand that paul is single which is fair he's writing as though he's single but he very very likely was not single his entire life he most likely was married at one point and it makes sense because he was a um he was a pharisee correct and if you were a pharisee part of like Jewish custom even was to, like the Bible t- tells you, to be fruitful and multiply. Exactly. And in so doing, and being a Pharisee of higher uh, regard or whatever, he would have more than likely been married. And in that, would have been hopefully making children. <laughs> at, at one point, he's basically <laughs> saying about like how he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Like he took it so seriously yeah. that he was one of like the highest, most reputable people. The Pharisees were teaching that be fruitful and multiply was a literal command for everyone. And you were not honoring God if you did not do that. And you so can't do that if there's no wife around. Exactly. So there Paul, we are. Very likely to be married. Um, some people say that he could have been a widower, which was not a word that existed at the time. So when he says, um, for those who are single and the widows be as I, as am I, yeah, yeah. um, he's referring to the widow part of that, mm-hmm. um, phrasing. Um, other people believe that when Paul became a Christian, his wife left him. Uh, some people teach that when Paul went on his missionary journeys, he left his wife. So there's this, a pretty widely accepted fact out there that Paul was married and many of the early church fathers in like the first century, second century, people who would have been like very likely to know people who would have known Paul, mm-hmm. uh, when they when they did their writings, they wrote about how Paul was married. Um, so he's not just giving um, advice like out of nowhere. So what I think is important then as we kind of round out chapter 7 that goes along with that, verse 17 I think really um, brings it to a close. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Um, I feel like that kind of goes along with that. It goes into like circumcision and stuff then too. But like you aren't bound to your status. Like ultimately your your responsibility is to give glory to God, whether you are married, whether you are single. Um, then it talks too about like if you are circumcised or uncircumcised, like 
that, that none of that actually matters. What matters is that you are living a life that is glorifying God. So thinking on that, I think that's a great lead in for your part today as well. Um, so whatever the case for you, um, single, married, uh, any of the list of things, just remember that your ultimate uh, purpose is to glorify the Lord. And um, also any of those things that we talked about today, if they are tugging at your heart, um, ways that you can be either keeping each other accountable in your own communities that you live in, um, in your own church community, remember that accountability is a good thing. Paul did that for the church in Corinth. It is a good thing for us to do as well as we are seeking to live to glorify God in all of our actions, words, all of it. So thanks for joining us today. We'll be back again tomorrow for some more Corinthians. Thanks so much for listening to God's plan, your part. Don't forget, it is always more important that you listen to God's words rather than our words. So please stick around to hear the reading for the day uh, or go and find it in the Bible and read it yourself. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave a rating and write a review on whatever platform you are using to listen to us. Now that we have all that out of the way, here is the reading for today. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present, with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate this festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Chapter 6 When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? 
but you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Chapter 7 Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. But to the married, I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? 
let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when he was called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as those who were not mourning, and those who rejoice as those who were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity but having his desire under control, and has determined in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Chapter 8 Now concerning food offered to idols. We know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, though former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. 
Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother of whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Thanks so much for listening to God's Plan, Your Part. If anything stuck out to you, if you have any questions, or if you'd like to receive a Bible, you can email us at godsplanyourpart at gmail.com. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, please consider supporting us through the link in our description. We love that you're on this journey with us, and we hope you have a great day. See you tomorrow.